Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. You guys doing good? Good. Um, I have a word this morning that has been just heavy on me this week. Um, Heavy in a good way, in a convicting way, in a a challenging and somewhat difficult way for me personally. And I I hope to challenge some or all of you um, this morning just with the heart of God. Um, But let's just pray real quick and um, we'll dive into the word. But Lord, we just, right now, we fix our eyes on you. God, we put aside our distractions, those things that steal us away from you. We put aside the emotional traffic that we maybe came in with this morning. We even put aside our technology, God. Lord, I ask this morning for the spirit of conviction to come and breathe on us. God, I ask that you would cause us to search our hearts. Lord, we want to be a people after your heart. We want to be like David. God, we want to be a church that regularly encounters your presence, God, and more than just a feel-good worship song, more than just a a feel-good word, God, we want the habitation of the presence of God to be with us. God, I'm hungry for the fullness of Lord, I'm hungry for all that you have ordained for this church. I'm hungry for it, Lord. And Lord, if there's anything in the way, if there's anything in my heart, God, that would stand in the way of that, if there's anything in our hearts as a congregation, Lord, that would stand in the way of the fullness of God being manifest here, Lord, would you bring conviction this morning? Search us and know us, Lord. Would you see if there's any wicked way in us? Purge us and we'll be clean. Wash us and we'll be whiter than snow. God, I ask that you would rid us of pride and arrogance. God, I ask that you would rid us of cynicism and a critical spirit. We want the fullness, Lord. We want your presence, Lord, everything that you have for us, Lord. Hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. And we say yes to the pruning, whatever that looks like, God. I just think of when Paul, when Paul said this, momentary affliction is just for a moment, but it's working in me an eternal weight of glory. God, we want that weight of glory 
And even if that means pruning, if, even if that means a momentary pain or for a momentary affliction, God, we say yes to that pruning because of we know the end of the story is that you're working in, in us something eternal. So, Lord, we avail ourselves to you this morning. We welcome you, Spirit of God, to come and convict us this morning to come and search our hearts, to come and have your way in every way. We love you. We love your presence. Would you just tell them, church, we love you, God. Oh, we love your presence. We want it more. We want more. You must increase and we must decrease. Come on, just tell them. Just tell them. Just begin to talk with him. Just begin to dialogue with him right now. This is a moment. I just feel like there's a window open in heaven right now for us. There's just a moment here. Let's just begin to speak to him. Just begin to cry out in desperation. God, we want more. We want fullness, God. Everything that you have for us, give it to us. Give it to us, God. Give it to us, Lord. Release it now, Lord. Release it, God. Release it, Lord. In Jesus' name. I just feel there's a weightiness in here. Um, I even felt, as I was preparing for this, I felt like I don't want to submit to a formula that we've created as a church. If you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit and you want to run to the altar in the middle of the message, by all means, the altar's open. If you feel that you need to respond even in the middle of it, I feel like the Lord's going to convict hearts even as I'm talking. And... If you don't have to come to the front, I'm not going to force you to come to the front, but if you feel the need to respond, get on your face, get to the altar, stand up and just lift your hand, like respond the way you feel you need to respond to the Lord because his presence demands a response. Our passive response to God's presence is not going to cut it. And I've been so convicted this last week about my passivity towards the presence of God. And we've, we've made church and we've made Christianity and Western civilization, we've made it a formula so that we can serve the people for a feel-good moment so that I as a worship leader can sing the right song at the right tempo and say the right thing at the right time so that you guys feel good, you give a verbal response so I feel good as a worship leader and then we go about our lives for the rest of the week and then we repeat the process the next Sunday. That's not going to cut it anymore. That's not going to cut it anymore. We have no right to be passive towards his presence. We have no right. Can I be honest with you this morning? I'm grieved at where we're at. I've been grieved this whole week, and I don't mean that as a, as a critique of you as, as, a, as individual people. I'm critiquing, uh, I feel like... I'm grieved at where the church in America is at. Because we've plugged God into our formulas. Where is our right response? 
Where is the right response? I think we have moments of it. I think we even had some moments of that this morning. But I, I just sense that even in those moments that we tap into something a little bit, there's still this overwhelming reservation within our spirits that there's a pride or there's a self-awareness or a self-consciousness that we're so self-absorbed that we won't let ourselves get outside of ourselves because we're afraid of what everyone else is going to think about us. Because we're afraid of... of, of actually allowing ourselves to be abandoned. We're afraid of actually letting ourselves respond rightly to his presence because it hasn't fit the formula of what Western church has made it. That's not going to cut it. God doesn't want that for this church. God wants more for this church. And the whole reason, the whole reason Kelly and I said yes to coming to this church last year when, when Donnie gave us the invitation to come and be a part of this spiritual family is because the formula, not the formula, but the, what Donnie was laying out for us as a church was so different than anything that we had seen or felt or heard of before in Western church because Donnie has this, this, uh, first Corinthians 14, um, prescription for what the church is supposed to look like, the many-membered body. I have never seen that done perfectly before. And I think we're still trying to get there. But there is so much more for us as a church. I think some of us maybe have come from um, conservative backgrounds. I grew up in a Lutheran church. My dad is to this day a Lutheran pastor. Um, the, the worship expression in the Lutheran church growing up was not, uh, well, frankly, it wasn't enjoyable for me. <laughs> Uh, worship is supposed to be enjoyable. Amen? The presence of God is supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be engaging. It's supposed to be intriguing. Worship growing up was, congregation, please rise. Sing stanzas one, three, five. Congregation, please sit down. Congregation, please read the words on the screen. Now stop. Like, that was, you know, our prayers and our worship were, were so scripted and there was no room for the right response. And what the Lord wants from us is the right response. Uh, this last week, I, I, I just began to feel convicted in my own heart that I've adopted a cynical and critical spirit towards church and towards the presence of God and towards worship. Because even, you know, I, I began to think of my own journey. I've been leading worship since I was 14 years old. I've, I'm 34 now, but it's been 20 years and in my pride and in my arrogance, I began to think, I've got this down. <laughs> I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know what songs are going to create this response in the people. I know what songs are overdone, you know? And, and I've, I began to just fit things into this formula as a worship leader because I know what works and what doesn't work. And even as we were, we were praying as a staff this last Monday, um, I had to repent to Pastor Donnie and Pastor Mo because uh, they went to this, uh, this conference in Pensacola last week and they had invited Kelly and I to come and be a part of it. And the whole time they were inviting us, I just, I was so critical towards, not towards you guys, but towards just the, the concept of another conference Another worship set, another all-star lineup of speakers and worship leaders. You know, it was Lyndall Cooley and uh, who else was there? Uh, Benny Hinn and Lou Engel, Reinhard Bonnke. Like, and frankly, like my, my, in my spirit, I was like, I've heard those guys before. I've sat in that message before. I don't need that again. I've heard Lyndall Cooley before. I don't need that again. I've heard Eddie James before. I don't need that again. And I was so critical in my spirit. And the Lord was just like, 
convicting me, saying, you're missing out. You're missing out because it's not about a formula. It's not about a song list. It's about my presence. And I, know, I knew that in my heart, but I wasn't actually living it out. I've even seen miracles before and gotten cynical about seeing the miracles because it got so comfortable to me. <laughs> Anything outside of the formula I had created, I was critical of. If I do the right songs at the right tempo and say the, thing, the right thing at the right time, it'll invoke a certain response that I want to get from you, the people in the congregation, so that they can feel good and I can be affirmed as the worship leader. <laughs> and that's church. <laughs> I just, I want to repent to you guys this morning for having a cynical spirit in worship. And regarding the presence of God, I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. This, this last week has been a wake-up call for me. And as I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to share this morning, I believe the Spirit told me that this spirit of cynicism and complacency and even mockery in the church has been adopted in the church at large and needs to be repented of. Because judgment starts in his house first. We're his people, and he cares enough about you to highlight the things in you that are wrong so that you can repent and turn from it. Judgment starts in his house first. I don't want to do the formula anymore. I don't want a man-made system anymore. And I just want to even ask you now, like, what formulas have you created for yourself? What formulas have you boxed God into in your own life outside of these four walls? Are you guilty of that? Just be honest with yourself. It's okay. <laughs> it's not okay, but it's okay that the Lord's highlighting it for you. God's not a God of formulas. I think there's more for us as a church, as a body, as a family. I think we haven't yet tapped into our purpose as a church. And I think the Lord has in store for us something far beyond anything that we've ever felt before, anything that we've ever experienced before, anything that we've ever known about him before. I believe that God has corporate encounter in store for us. Corporate encounter. What would happen if we all saw God together? What, if, what, what, what would happen if... I, I think the secret place is so important and we need to do that too. But what would happen if the glory of God showed up on a Sunday morning? I guarantee you we wouldn't cut them short by, because we're done with an hour and a half or two-hour service. Sorry, God. <laughs> I got to go watch football. Sadly, that happens. Sadly, that has happened. If the glory cloud shows up here today, will we, will we respond rightly? I even... I can't, I just want to say, last week, I think we got into the, a moment in worship last week that we could have stayed in for hours. And I think, if I can say it humbly, and I say this about myself too, we didn't respond rightly. A couple of us did. A couple of us did, but we didn't respond rightly as a church to his presence. And it makes me fearful in the sense that I don't want to miss out 
I don't want God to pass us by because we're not responding to him rightly. One of my favorite stories is Exodus chapter 24. Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. 74 dudes climbed a mountain together, and they saw him together. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, And it was like the very heavens in its clarity, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. They had dinner with God. Talk about a corporate encounter. Seventy-four men climbed a mountain, saw God, ate and drank with him. Why is that not happening today? (laughs) I believe that's available to us. But the presence of God demands a response. Revelation chapter 4. I think I can't give a message without talking about Revelation chapter 4 because it's just in me. But John gets taken up. He gets taken up through an open door. He He says, I saw the Lord. I saw a throne set in heaven and there was one sitting on the throne. And it says he was like a jasper and a sardius stone. He was like uh, light and fire. And there was a rainbow, an emerald rainbow that surrounded the throne. And there were 24 elders clothed in white robes with crowns of gold on their heads. And there were four living creatures with six wings covered with eyes all around and within. And there was lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there was a sea of glass mingled with fire. And there are seven torches that are burning before the throne. And it's not like the, the, the crowd of people around the throne is just standing there stagnant. Because that's not the right response. When you look at God shining brighter than the sun like a jasper and a sardius stone, when you see this emerald rainbow and the lightnings and the thunder and the power that bursts out of his being and you're standing on this sea of glass and there's these four living creatures, these angelic beings, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 24 elders clothed in white robes with crowns of gold on their head and they look at God, how insulting for them to just stand there and maybe give a clap every now and then. His presence demands a response. His presence demands a response. That is why night and day the four living creatures sing that song, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they, they fall down and they worship him and they, they, they gather themselves and they pick, it, they pick themselves back up again. They stare at him again and they sing that same song like it was the first time they'd ever seen him because his presence demands a response. The reason that 24 elders cast their crowns before the Lord is because he's worthy of authority. His presence demands a response. They say it's by your will and it's for your pleasure that we're even here. It's your idea in the first place. The reason we're alive and breathing and moving on planet Earth right now is not so that we can come to an hour and a half service on Sunday morning, have a feel-good message, and go home and go about our business for the rest of the week. His presence demands a response, and the reason you're here is to bring him pleasure. The reason you're alive is to bring him glory. And everything else that we've created, the kingdoms that we've created for ourselves are worthless. 
It's worthless. What right do we have to not respond? The reason you're breathing right now is because he wants a response. Some of you are saying, well, it was easy for John. It was easy for the angels. They get to see him. It was easy for Moses. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock. He got to see God's back. The 74 people who went up the mountain got to see God. and they, Of course they will respond. They see him. I tell you something. The 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, saw him, ate with him, dined with him, communed with him for three and a half years. At the end of his ministry, Jesus actually sat down with them and he said to them, it is better for you that I go. It's better for you that I leave because I'm going to send you my spirit. Do you guys know you have something that Moses didn't have? You have something that David didn't have. You have the spirit of God dwelling in you. And I imagine the disciples having that conversation with Jesus were probably like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? Like, that, how could it possibly, how could it be better for us that you, the one with eternal words of life that give us life abundantly, you're the wellspring of life, how could it possibly be better for us to have you leave us? And he says, oh, you don't know. <laughs> You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you have access to. He goes, if, if I don't go, the spirit, the helper won't come to you. But if I leave, I will send him to you. And he's going to come and he's going to live inside of you. And he's going to speak to you and he's going to remind you of everything that I said. You have God. The eternal, living, holy, beautiful, mighty God. The fullness of his presence lives within you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. What are we not tapping into? What are we missing out on? We have the fullness of God living inside of us more than what Moses had, more than what David had, more than the prophets had in the Old Testament. But they experienced him and they responded to him. We have God living in us and we've become so passive about it. Where is our response? Some of you are just too self-conscious. I'm self-conscious. <laughs> I don't want the person next to me to think I'm weird. <laughs> Thank you. I will, I'm just going to confess to you right now. I'm weird. <laughs> I'm weird. You guys are weird. Get weird. It's okay to be weird. Who cares? Who cares? I cannot dance worth a lick. <laughs> My wife will testify, I cannot dance. But sometimes the right response to the presence of God is to dance. Who cares what it looks like? It's the right response. Who cares what it looks like? Just do it. <sighs> I was reading this story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
Uh, I'm going to read this to you. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's about David bringing back the ark into the city, uh, into the city of David after the Philistines had captured the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant um, was the place where the presence of God it had these two cherubim on the top of the ark, and it said the presence of God resided on the ark, on top of the ark between the two cherubim. So obviously, I mean, what did that look like? What did the glory of God residing on this golden box? What did that look like, you know? We have this image of what God looks like in Revelation 4. What did it look like when the presence of God rested on the ark? But obviously, the ark was a hot commodity. <laughs> Everyone wanted the ark. The Philistines wanted the ark. They, they overtook them, and they captured the ark, and they brought it back to their own land. So David went to battle, conquered the Philistines, recaptured the ark. I want to I read this story to you. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to just start at verse 1. Um, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio the sons of Abinadab drove the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. How many times am I going to say Abinadab? Which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark and David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, the fir wood, the harps, the stringed instruments, the tambourines, the sistrum, the cymbals. It was a right response to his presence. His presence was there how dare they not respond to it? It's not like they're just going to pick up this box and bring it back because it's just a box. It's just presence. His presence demands a response. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen that were pulling it stumbled. And it says, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error because he touched the ark and he died there. And so David was freaking out. He goes, David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez Uba, which means the Lord burst out at Uzzah. <laughs> and now it was told, uh, hold on, oh, I skipped it. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Basically, I don't want anything to do with this now. He just killed my friend because of his irreverence toward the presence. He killed him. I don't want anything to do with this. I, I, I wash my hands of this, God. Like, and he says, um, how, can I bring the, how can the ark come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David instead took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And because the ark stayed in his house, it says the Lord blessed him and his whole household. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of, the ark, because of the ark of God. So David went, he's like, oh, this is, I missed out. <laughs> so David went back to Obed-Edom's house. He goes, I brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. This is crazy. So I, I was reading a commentary on the distance between Obed-Edom's house and, and the tabernacle where the, where the city of, in the city of David. It said that the, um, there was about 600 paces approximately between the house of Obed-Edom and the tabernacle where the ark would rest. 
every six steps that they took, David sacrificed an ox and a sheep and began to dance before the ark, before the presence of God, every six steps. So about 600 paces total, so about 100 times from the procession from Obadiah's house into the tabernacle, David sacrificed an ox, sacrificed a sheep, and had a worship service every six steps because his presence demands a response. And so it was. When those bearing the ark had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Basically, he was in his whitey tidies. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet because his presence demands a response. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city, David's wife, Michal... I said Michael earlier, and it sounds weird to say David and Michael. Um, so um, it's Michal. Saul's daughter, who was David's wife, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And it set in its place in the midst of the tabernacle uh, David had erected for it. Then David... Bur- uh, I missed a part. I'm so sorry. And it says she despised him in her heart. She watched him dance. He, he became crazy, pretty much. He stripped down to his underwear. I'm not condoning that in the church. Don't do that. <laughs> but he stripped down to his underwear, and he began to dance and whirl and shout and play instruments before the presence of God. She watched him from her window in the palace, and, and, and it says she despised him in her heart. I read that, and it pierced me. It pierced me. She despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings for the Lord. And when David had finished burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed um, to both men and women a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and raisins. So the people departed everyone to his house. And this is where it gets crazy. David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, "How glori-, mocking him, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in front of all of the, the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. How glorious, how awesome are you, David? You bring shame on our house, basically. <laughs> This is embarrassing. I was embarrassed of you. And so David had this mic drop moment with Michal. He goes, first off, it was not before the maidservants. I was dancing before the Lord. The Lord who chose me instead of your dad. (laughs) In all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Therefore, I will become even more undignified than you saw me before. Donnie, you had that word last week. There, where is the right response? Where is, where is the response of being undignified in the presence of God? This is God we're talking about. This is God who created the heavens and the earth. He hangs the earth on nothing. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. There's a hundred billion galaxies with a hundred billion stars in each of them. And he, he's so humble to come and meet with us, but... 
What if we don't respond? How dare we not respond? He goes, I'll become even more undignified with this, and, I will, and I'll be humble in my own sight. But as, the, as for the maidservants you've spoken of, by them I'll be held in honor. And it says, therefore, because she despised him and was embarrassed of his expression of worship, it says she was barren till the day of her death. How dare we not respond? And as I read this story, I, I was thinking of Mikal and her, her, her despising his expression. And I just began to, the Lord firmly but tenderly spoke to me. He goes, you've done this. You've despised other people's expressions. You've despised other people's act of worship that maybe didn't align with yours or maybe that you thought was weird or maybe that you thought was different, too different in order to be welcome into your church or maybe, you know, like, or you've despised the conferences, you've despised the song lists, you've despised the messages because you've quote unquote heard them before and you're missing out. That's what the Lord told me. You're missing out because you have a critical spirit. I think we need to repent of a critical spirit and despising the expression. Lord, I want to be like David. Lord, I don't want to have that critical spirit. I don't want to have that comparing spirit. Uproot that from me, God. Take that out of us, God, as a church, as a family. Take that out of us right now. Lord, we just, we open our hearts to you right now, and we say, come and, and rid us. Expose the things that aren't of you. Expose us, God. Ooh, that's a scary prayer to pray. But it's worth it. It's worth it to be clean. It's worth it. Your presence is worth the exposing God. Your presence is worth a momentary uh, affliction. So what is the, what is the right response for us? I, I don't have a, a definite answer for that question. What does it mean to have a right response before the presence of God? Well, I think one... We have to have sincere hearts of repentance. Because the sin, the darkness that we have given ourselves to, that we've loved, John 3 says men have loved darkness rather than the light. Because if they come to the light, their deeds are exposed. I think it's, God's going to expose it whether we want him to or not. I would rather God expose me by me asking for it rather than he surprise me with the exposing. <laughs> He's gonna expose the darkness no matter what. I'd rather ask him for it than him surprise me with it. We have to have sincere hearts of repentance and we have to get over ourselves. <laughs> 
we have to get over ourselves. We have to get over the pride and the arrogance of that's not how I do it. Well, then how do you do it? Because I guarantee you standing there with, no, with a vacant expression when the presence of God is in the room isn't going to cut it. And I can't judge what's happening on the inside of your heart, but I believe that there's a physical response that God requires. I'm not here to condemn you or to judge you. I'm here to call you higher. As, as, as a worship leader, as a worship pastor here, I just want to call us higher as a family, as a community, to respond better, to respond more rightly to his presence. And it means get, maybe getting out of your chair. Maybe lying down prostrate before the Lord on the floor. Maybe you get dirty a little bit. Maybe you get sweaty a little bit. Maybe you lose your voice a little bit. Maybe you dance. Maybe at home you, you just make noise on, on your instruments. Or if you don't have an instrument, just bang around pots and pans. It, make, it says make a joyful noise. <laughs> But he's with you. His presence is with you. And his presence demands a response. Sometimes it means giving. Uh, when Moses went up and he, and he encountered, uh, when he encountered the Lord on the mountain, and it says he, held, he hit him in the cleft of the rock and he saw his back. Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowing. And, and, and the first response that Moses called the people to was to take up an offering. <laughs> Sometimes his, his presence demands an offering response. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus entered the house of Mary of Bethany. No one else really had the reverence for who he was, but Mary knew who he was. Mary sat down at his feet. It says she took out this vial of costly perfume, and it was worth literally a whole year's salary. She brought out this vial of costly perfume that cost her a whole year's salary. She broke it and poured it on his feet. And the disciples, and, and it says the fragrance of that perfume filled the entire room. And the disciples said, why would she waste this? This is so foolish. Mary, you're an idiot. Why would you do this? You could have sold this. You could have given it to the poor. And Jesus, I love Jesus. He had her back. <laughs> he goes, stop. Knock it off. He goes, the poor you have with you always. You can always do nice things for the poor, but, with me, but me, you don't have me always. And she's come and she's known who I am. She's chosen the good part. That's something that you can never take away from her. And she's chosen to give me this. And she, she anointed me for my burial. Jesus was speaking. He was about to die in like two days. And what I love about this, this whole thing, it says the, the, the perfume filled, the fragrance of that perfume filled the entire room. And that's something, when, when you dump out that much perfume on somebody, it seeps into your skin, okay? I guarantee you that that fragrance stuck with him for days. And so in G, with Jesus in his darkest hour on the cross, when all of his friends had abandoned him, when he felt abandoned by his father, Jesus in his darkest hour after crying out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took in a deep breath and he smelled the fragrance of Mary's worship. Even in his darkest hour because that fragrance stuck with him. And he said that story is so important that whenever the true gospel is preached, that that story should be told as a memorial to her. We skip that part so often. His presence demands a response. If Jesus walked into your house right now, what would you do? 
what would your response be? Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six says, I looked and I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah didn't just stand there and go, wow, this is cool. Neat. Isaiah was grieved within himself because he goes, oh, I'm unclean. I shouldn't be seen. You're beautiful. You're perfect. You're holy. And I'm dirty. Why am I here? Why am I allowed to see that sometimes it's that, that repentant response? God, cleanse me so that I can actually behold you. In Revelation chapter 4, the response of the, of the 24 elders and the four living creatures, is, as God is bursting with lightning and thunder, they're not just standing there going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Like, they're I believe that they give their everything in that song because his presence demands a response. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77. 977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.